0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show.
1: Manchester City through to the semi-finals of the Champions League by winning an away game, despite trailing at half-time and scoring a penalty. The name must practically be on the trophy at this stage, mustn't it? Uh, But if you thought this week was going to be tense, then it's not going to get any calmer, as it's PSG in the next round, but before that it's an FA Cup semi-final with Chelsea and the League Cup final with Tottenham. If you get any moments to relax over the next couple of weeks, then you'd better take them. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we're going to reflect on the events in that Champions League win over Borussia Dortmund, and prepare for the trip to Wembley this weekend. Liam Toomey will join us to give us insight into Chelsea, and we'll be speaking to a couple of the "My Old Man Says" fellas to learn more about Aston Villa. And Howard Hocking is on the show later on too. So let's crack on. I'm David Mooney, and I'm joined this week by the Manchester Evening News' is Simon Bakowski. Hello. And City fan and One Football's Dan Book. Hello, uh, Dan. Let's start with uh, with you for that uh, Champions League semi-final. Uh, uh, what? Well, no, uh, they're into the semi-final. They've not won the semi-final yet. Getting a bit ahead of <laughs> myself there. Um, how are you feeling?
2: Feeling great, yeah, yeah. It was it was a strange game for me. It was you know it was very frantic and, and panicked to begin with from City. I thought even before Dortmund scored, and it, it took them a little while to settle. And, and my nerves were, were jangling a little bit, like I'm, I'm sure everyone else's were. Um, I mean, at time I was really concerned, which which is unlike me. Um, I'm usually pretty positive, pretty confident in these games that, that City will, will find a way. Um, but it reminded me so much of the the United game a few weeks ago and um, Spurs away earlier in the season when I thought all the way through those games at one 0 like surely we'll score, surely we'll get a goal here and then we lost both games 2-0 <laughs> didn't we so I think we got a bit lucky with Emre with Chan's stupidity for the for the penalty and, um, and as soon as we got that away goal I just felt totally relaxed because we had that insurance policy then um, I knew that Dortmund would need to score two to knock us out or, or one more to take it to, to extra time and um, Kevin De Bruyne had that chance at one-one, and I was thinking to myself then, oh, if that had gone in, it would have been game over. And then from the resulting corner, Foden spanked that one in, and uh, yeah, you could you could see what the win meant to the team um, with the goal celebrations, and it kind of says to me that they've shaken that psychological monkey off their back now. You know, they, yeah. they might not win the Champions League this season, but I don't see them freezing again in a big a big game anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I mean, what, I was going to say that, Simon. What did, what did the, the display as well kind of say about City this season?
3: It, it showed that they're a cohesive team and they're solid and they don't collapse or, you know, they don't met, turn one mistake into two. Um, I was I was slightly more calm than Dan during the game. I thought they <laughs> were OK. Um, good goal from Dortmund, but, um, you know, City weren't the best defensively, but they were better. And as soon as De Bruyne started kind of leading the game, you felt... You felt like they were in control, but at the same time, as Dan says, if they hadn't have got that penalty, um, it would have been really interesting to to see if they'd been able to score themselves in uh, in open play because it feels like it was a really comfortable win, but they were kind of given um, their equaliser by an opposition mistake.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we're talking about the, the display like this, Dan, as well, because it, it feels like not only that they came from behind to win but that they did it in an away game they were trailing at half time there's that that stat that goes around about I know it's Premier League games but there's still that stat that goes around about it only being Huddersfield that City have come back from behind to to win against at half time (laughs) I mean it it feels like there is a new mental toughness to this team this season
2: hey that Huddersfield side were a good team don't forget that (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah I think the difference in in this game was that Guardiola trusted his players to just play their game and get the job done you know there was no confusing tactical quirks there was no overthinking he picked the exact 11 that I wanted him to pick and they, they just went out and won the game the same way they, they've won many games this season um, I mean I'm not a fan of the away goals rule generally speaking but it was comforting at 1-0 down to know that we just had to score and the tie was going to swing massively back in our favour um, I think yeah like Simon said we fell behind to a really well taken goal but apart from that we didn't give Dortmund much of a sniff and I was a little concerned that we might not get the goal but at the same time you know this is City and with with all that attacking intent they've got I knew that they were great chances I just hoped they would take at least one of them Uh, they took two of them you know everyone went away happy and it was a a great night and um, I was watching the game over here on Germany on Sky Sky, and and Pep uh, did an interview and he he was as happy as I've ever seen him in an interview after the game he he was laughing and joking with the reporter they asked him about Foden and he said uh, Foden has incredible fucking personality and uh, (laughs) and and, and they also said how how are you going to celebrate this they said, we're gonna drink a lot of wine tonight, a lot of wine. <laughs> so it was just everyone was just buzzing, weren't they? Because it just feels like they've kind of um they've arrived now, finally. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, even if they don't win the Champions League this season, Simon, as as Dan said earlier, it, it does feel like they've had a little bit of a breakthrough here.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um and because if they'd lost, it wouldn't necessarily have been like, oh, they're they're not mentally tough, but it would have been impossible for them not to have it characterised as that. Sort of, the longer it goes on, you just get associated with it. Um, But, you know, 16 wins away in a row in all competitions is just incredible. And, you know, maybe they've been helped by the fact that uh, there's been no crowds in games. Uh, You know, I think Pep said they might have won 4-1 at Anfield had there been a crowd in a 1-1 after 70 minutes. But also, I don't think you can sort of forget that it's really hard for the players at the minute with all the COVID restrictions and, and whatever. It's not fun for them going to away games and staying in hotels and not being able to leave the hotels and, you know, getting swabs up the nose every day and things yeah. like that. So, you know, it, it's been tough and they've all come together as a group and they, they're pretty unstoppable
1: yeah, and I mean it's it's like that for everybody as well. So it's like it's it's yeah, it's the same same everywhere else. Um, I mean, let's let's touch on Phil Foden because uh, all the talk done beforehand uh, always it felt a lot about Erling Haaland uh, in in the build up. Then Bellingham scored, and it was all about Bellingham. But the, when you when you look down over the uh, over the two legs of this game, Phil Foden was the standout player on both teams.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything about Foden's story is a dream come true for us as fans. I think you know he's a kid from Stockport. He used to be the ball boy. He came through the academy. He's blossomed into a world class player, and now he scored the winner in a Champions League quarter final and, and ran over to the manager to celebrate. I mean, that is all I ever wanted from football in a nutshell, really. And it, and it, and the great thing is that his City career has only really just begun. Um, so yeah, it, it was a it was a magnificent performance from him. He's a, he's a brilliant young player. I'm so glad that he's our player. Um, I, I think we also have to say about Jude Bellingham, by the way. What a player he is! Yeah. I mean, to be that good and that mature at 17 years old is frightening. I don't think Foden was that good at 17, to be honest. Um, so I'm really interested to see how, how he develops. I think it's really good for the England team, and I, I would love to think that we might uh, one day try and buy him from Dortmund because I think he's got everything already. He's amazing.
1: Yeah. What? Uh, just quickly though, Dan, what did you think of the uh, the tweet that appeared on Foden's social media at KM Mbappe? Are you ready?
2: <laughs> uh, well, apparently he didn't tweet it himself, did he? He's, he's got one of these companies who who does his social media for him, and they, they were quite unhappy about that. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't really care too much about these things. It's these a bit of fun, isn't it? It's just a bit yeah. of fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't really use use Twitter for, for sort of these uh, sort of brand-building exercises that, that players use <laughs> them for. Um, I saw an interesting tweet from Gary Neville earlier, actually, where he was saying that, like... Um, Players should control their own social media. They should control their own message. They should, you know, get their own personality across and, and not hire these these companies to to do it for them. And I mean, I'm inclined clients agree with him actually. I think I would rather see the real Phil Foden tweeting after a game than some, uh, you know, marketing exec in Canary Wharf or whatever. Yeah.
1: And what, uh, what what do you make of uh, Foden's performance, Simon? He was, I mean, he was the the one to watch, wasn't he? And uh, you know, the, the talk again of of Harland and Bellingham. He just kind of quietly got on with the job, and suddenly he's, he's the star of the show.
3: Yeah, he's just great and he I think he's probably going to be the natural successor to De Bruyne, really. Um he's kind of influencing games in the same way, like when City needs something to happen, he makes something happen. And I you know, I find it amazing when people criticise him like like in the first leg, for like, oh you know, missing a few shots and it's like, Yeah, but he's he's created everything. Like he may not have <laughs> taken everything, but he, he he has done literally everything um that that was good about the team. And, you know, De Bruyne was really good in the first half, um, in the second leg. And then Bowden kinda of took over um for the second half. It it is it really is a, a joy to to watch him. Um and, you know, every city fan will be over the moon to see a homegrown lad come forward. And and it was just really 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 nice to see the goal last night but then also the celebration with with Guardiola because you know they've been they've been through a lot together um in their short time together and it it is not been without criticism shall shall we say but um I think you know last night you saw a player who's at the top of his game so far with a lot more to come and uh, and a manager at the top of his game as well.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting as well, Simon. You think back? I mean, it's 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 literally twelve months, maybe maybe thirteen months ago that we're all sitting talking about. Uh, oh, you know, it's it's great that Guardiola started him in the League Cup final, but is he ready for two games on the bounce? Because he wasn't great against United in the game after, you know. And then you know, you're talking twelve months on, and look, you can't imagine a City side without him right now.
3: Yeah, I would like to say that we've reached the point where. Um... He just starts every big game, but he, he was left out for the United game um, in in March, was it? But I, I guess you could sort of bert a bit and say that Guardiola didn't actually see it as that big a game. <laughs> left him out. But, um, yeah, you know, you, you wouldn't leave him out of, of any big game now between now and the rest of the season because he just made things happen.
1: Yeah well Dan you mentioned it before about uh, City's equalizing goal. Uh there was a little bit of luck in, in the way that Emre Chan uh defended that cross. Um do you get any of the controversy over the penalty? Like his arm was in an unnatural position. It has to be a penalty, <laughs> doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, as a general rule of thumb, this is far from uh, the, the sort of official uh, law of the game. But I think if it looks like a clear handball from the first angle you see on TV in real time, then it's a handball for me. And his argument was that it hit his head first. And I think there is a bit of confusion over whether that uh, therefore means that it shouldn't have been a handball. But I think it would have hit his arm regardless of, uh, of whether it hit his head or not, wouldn't it? And he, he sort of led with his arm in that weird way. Uh, he's he's an absolute idiot, I think, as a footballer. I think he's not he's not a terrible footballer. On the ball, but he makes some stupid decisions. He made a stupid decision for for our goal, I think, in the first uh, our first goal in the first leg, and, and nearly gave a penalty away in the first leg as well. And I think uh, the Dortmund fans, I know, were a bit concerned about him um, doing something stupid again in the second leg. And, and so it proved. So yeah, it was it was a handball for me. I, I have no uh, complaints about that at all.
1: Well, I can clear it up uh, because the laws of the game say uh, it's an offence if a player touches the ball with their hand or arm when the hand or arm has made their body unnaturally bigger. The hand or arm is above or beyond the shoulder level unless the player deliberately plays the ball, which then touches their hand or arm. So that's where the confusion's coming in because what he's saying is I deliberately played it with my head and then it's touched my arm, but the arm's made his body unnaturally bigger. So that's why it's a penalty in the end. Um, I mean, the interesting thing, Simon, is is that you would look back at, at City's uh, previous quarterfinals under Guardiola and the and, and the um, last sixteen tie uh, against uh, Monaco in that first season. You look at, at the way that that City played in those games. They played well in patches, but they had moments where the, where they just did not get the rub of the green. Do you feel that this performance against Dortmund was almost uh, uh, uh no matter what happens in this game we are going to win it. If we get lucky then great if we don't get lucky we're not going to let it affect us.
3: Yeah, I, I think um the the constant battle with Guardiola is to kind of limit external factors as much as possible and make sure that everything comes down to sort of the players on the pitch and you know not down to referees or whatever but you've got to accept that in the Champions League um you need big decisions to to go your way. Like over a 38-game season, things will probably even out. Um, but in the Champions League, two games, whatever, uh, you just need the decisions to go your way. And a lot of decisions have gone against City. And uh, this, this time against Dortmund, they've gone with them. I, I mean, I, I feel like the Dortmund coach after the game in his press conference summed it up pretty well by saying that, um, you know, City deserved to win both games. But they did have... Um, some decisions go in their favour. I'm like Dan. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think there was any debate over the penalty, but equally there was no debate over uh, Bellingham's disallowed goal in the first leg.
1: Yeah. Um, let's touch on uh, a couple of the positions as well because uh, Riyad Mahrez has uh, very quietly, I think, Dan, become undroppable at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if "undroppable" is the right word because you you could see him sort of coming in and out of the team, couldn't you? But he's definitely in our our first eleven at the moment. I would think you know for for a game like this. Uh, I would always want him to play and um, he's really made that right-hand side his own. I don't really think anyone else is, is touching that position anytime soon, particularly. So, uh, yeah, great. He's a great player, isn't he? I, I, I was a little bit, you know, I've always been a bit of a Mara sceptic. I didn't really, um, the, the sort of way he tried to engineer a move away from Leicester before he came to City didn't sit too well with me. And then when we got him, I was kind of thinking, do we actually need this guy? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we be better trying to sign a, um, a, a someone to play with for? Uh, Fernandinho in midfield, um, and his first season was amazing. Uh, his second season was, was decent, and his third season has been, uh, I think it started off quite underwhelmingly, uh, but it's been much better um, as the season has gone on, and, and he's, he's in really good form at the moment. And uh, yeah, him, him stepping up for that penalty, uh, I must admit I didn't want him to take him. Obviously, like everyone, <laughs> I had that penalty at Anfield in the back of my mind. Um, but it's a bit unfair, really, because I would have preferred De Bruyne to take it, He's missed more penalties from us uh, for us than Maras has, hasn't he? Um, and Maras is such a clean striker of the ball with that left foot that you know he'd be the ideal candidate, really. So um, yeah, if we get another one, I'll be more than happy for him to take it.
1: Yeah, I understand why he didn't, but I'd have, I'd have put Foden on that penalty just for he took a penalty in the uh, shootout against Liverpool in the uh, Community Shield last season, and it was fantastic. I just, I, I just think he, he's the sort of player that can handle that pressure. But you know, I, I understand why they why they picked Maras. <laughs>
0: And under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
1: Simon th- th- let's look at this question from Mike Cook this came in after the uh, Leeds game on Twitter uh, and he said another disaster from Sterling on the left surely we have to get him back on the right I don't know if you remember David White but brilliant as he was on the right you would never even contemplate playing him on the left so many good situations are breaking down because he can't or won't use his left foot um, and you know I've, I've always been quite happy to put Sterling on either flank for, for the last kind of 18 months two seasons or so because of that 18 19 season where he was so good um but I, I must admit he's not having the impact from the left anymore is he
3: No he's he's not um I'm not sure he's having the impact anywhere really he's just in a bit of a, a tricky patch of form and uh, it, it's interesting because sort of his decline as um in, in form has coincided with with Mahrez's uptick really because um, if you think back sort of the Liverpool game at the beginning of February and uh Swansea then in the FA Cup like Sterling was great Sterling was really really good like playing well but leading the team Um and you thought well that's him you know in the team for the rest of the season and then he, he just kind of tailed off and as he tailed off Mahrez stepped in to that gap and now yeah Mahrez gets in every time ahead of St- I, I mean he, um, it, it said it all when he he kind of came on and had that chance to score the third against Dortmund, and it was just he just looks bereft of confidence, and uh, he he just I, I I don't know what he needs a rest and like a restart. He he just kind of I, I don't think it matters so much where he plays as just um, getting him sort of easing him back into form.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I am wondering, Dan, if it is a case of getting back on the right hand side because that 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 move from Guardiola in, in, in his first season at, at City pretty much it, it, it set the tone for Sterling's next two years didn't it?
2: Mm. The problem is if Sterling plays on the right who goes on the left? I mean I suppose you could play Foden there but then you have to drop Mares, don't you? Because I don't think Mahrez can play on the left. I don't think he's quick enough um, for that, that position and I don't want him to drop out of the team anytime soon. I mean I, I love Sterling a lot but but Guardiola job is to find a system that wins games, not a, not a system that brings the best out of Sterling. And I'm confident that he will he will find some form again soon. But at the moment, I don't think he gets into our best 11 and it's up to him to fight his way back in. That's just the reality of, of playing at a top club. I mean, yeah, that, that chance against Dortmund, I think even if he had taken the shot on there, I'm not confident he would have scored because his shooting technique often lets him down for me. And... um If I was him, I'd be a bit concerned about my spot in the England squad this summer, you know, because he's fallen out of form at a really unfortunate time. Um, I don't think it's anybody's fault, though. He's just a victim of circumstance, really, like Simon said.
3: I don't know if he's missing a goal scorer as well. You know, like, he's always had Sergio Aguero, who will guarantee be the top scorer, and he's been trying to fight that, and he's been getting closer and closer. And this season, you sort of said, go on then, because... Aguero's not fit so you know all yours to get top scorer but I don't like Guardiola doesn't like him as a central striker I'm not sure he is I'm not sure it brings the best out of him having sort of no competition to to be top scorer I I think maybe he just works best as sort of the the one that you're not focusing on
1: yeah um one final question for this week Simon um does the display and uh, the result in Dortmund vindicate Guardiola's selection against Leeds
3: No, no, nothing to do with Leeds, irrelevant. (laughs) Um, Yeah, perhaps in the sense that it allowed them to sort of be um, sort of full on, give give the full energy for 90 minutes against Dortmund, having rested against Leeds. But I, you know, I I just, I, I lose my mind at the idea that City, who have knocked out one of the best teams in Europe, in Dortmund um you know not doing great in the bundesliga but showed over the two legs they are a really good team um are suddenly going to surrender an 11 point lead to a manchester united side that have showed that they are not one of the best teams in europe this <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah dan it's uh, i mean the result against leeds does that suggest that maybe the strength in depth isn't as strong as we say it is or is it a case of you know bringing in seven eight players who are out of form and you know not regulars at the moment it just
2: disrupts the rhythm too much uh, I don't know. I, I'm glad we're not dedicating much time to talking about the Leeds game today because I think it's quite symbolic of how meaningless it was in the grand scheme of things, really. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> we, I mean, we could easily have won or drawn that game. When you look at the chances we created and, and you look at the stats and it suggests that we were a bit unlucky. I mean, Leeds played really well, especially with 10 men. But I think, um, you know, City have done enough this season to mean we can look at this game and say it wasn't the result we wanted, but it wasn't an awful performance either. Um, you know, we're still going to win the league. I'm happy to go on record and say <laughs> say that for sure, that I've, I've got no doubt about that. Um, um, and if you look at the fixture list now, there isn't much margin for error. I think he'll probably rotate again for that Crystal Palace away game that sandwiched between the two Champions League semi-final legs. And uh, and hopefully this time, if he does, the, the second string will will get the win because yeah, they, they weren't they weren't bad against Leeds. I didn't think. I think and I think I totally agree with Sam Lee that um, rotating was the right idea, whether we would won or lost at Dortmund. It was it was the right thing to do. I think back to that um, that Atalanta Champions League game last season when he played Edison and we didn't need to win, and Edison got injured and then missed the trip to field a few days later I mean I would still argue that was a really uh, costly decision from Pep so um, I'm glad to see that he appears to have learned from his mistake yeah
1: well there we go Uh, let's move on then in that case Uh, this weekend City travel to Wembley for the FA Cup semi-final with Chelsea Friday marks 10 years to the date since the team made the same journey to take on Manchester United Sam Roscoe remembers the importance of that 1-0 win from April 2011
4: This weekend's match will be Pep Guardiola's fourth FA Cup semi-final in five seasons. Wembley has become like a second home for the manager. This is his 11th visit since he took charge. That's more than the previous 16 permanent City bosses combined. That just goes to show how used to success City and City fans have become recently. When Roberto Mancini took his side to Wembley this weekend in 2011, it was the first FA Cup semi-final City had been involved in for 30 years. I think for all the our supporters that were here,
5: all the our supporters that were in Manchester, and I think that this is for them, because they deserve it, they like today.
4: That was Mancini speaking after winning the semi-final. It was a big moment because City hadn't won any silverware in 35 years and they'd beaten Manchester United, who were on their way to the fourth title in five seasons. We have a fantastic spirit, but for us it's the first year that we have a really strong team and today was the first time that we played here we have a fantastic spirit in the second half we deserve to win because we played very well The decisive goal came after half-time a poor clearance from Edwin van der Sar in the United goal put his team in trouble then Michael Carrick gave it away to Yaya Toure Ferdinand
6: trusting van der Sar, and his clearance is poor straight to Silva United were lucky then oh and it's given away
7: by Carrick and this is Toure Just to City take the lead Yaya Toure Punished.
4: While the goal hadn't been coming, City had definitely been more likely to break the deadlock. After an early flurry by United in the first half, City had grown into the game, with Gareth Barry, Mario Balatelli, Jolyon Lescott, and Vincent Company all having decent chances
5: in the first half. We came out stronger out of the dressing room, and uh, you could see that in the second half. Everybody was real positive and. Uh, had a little nervousness, you know. There was a, there was not in the team anymore after the first half. So you see that as well. So and, uh, you see the second half, we just dominated them.
4: That's Nigel De Jong, who played in holding midfield for that City side. He felt it was a real team performance.
5: We went in as uh, as a team and uh, came out as a team. You know, um, you just had to believe in yourself and just keep uh, keep on fighting and uh, keep on playing football. And everybody uh, just took the, each other by the hand and. Said, like, this is the last opportunity for the, for the, the last 45 minutes, and you could see that as well today.
4: United had a glorious chance to put City under pressure at the start. So, when Joe Hart made a wonderful save in a one on one with Dimitar Berbatov, and when the striker then missed an open goal, there was a sense it might have been City's day. Jolyon Lescott was in the City defence. In the past, obviously, we played well at Old Trafford this
8: season, but I was unlucky that we didn't get the result. Um, Today was probably started off a bit poor. Um, party, a tremendous save, and that probably settled us down a bit. And then,
4: obviously, we rode a look before that. But again, I think um, overall we deserved a win. The game finished with another fantastic save by Joe Hart, who touched a deflected free kick onto the bar. Nigel De Jong explained after how that United team were good at scoring late on,
5: so it was an impressive display from City to keep playing to the end. You need 90 minutes for it, obvious, and uh, you know against United, it's never. It's never a uh, done game, you know, uh, they came uh, back against us in the last minute, so it's not 90s, 90, 95 today as well again, so you always have to keep your focus, but obvious when you miss that chance, yeah, okay, that gives us uh, the belief that uh, there was more in it.
4: There was just enough time for Paul Scholes to be sent off for a bad challenge on Pablo Zabaleta, and tempers were fraught at full time, as Mario Balotelli caused anger in the United camp with his celebrations. That though probably showed how important the victory was. United had put an end to City's trophy hopes in the League Cup the year before, but they hadn't been able to do it in the FA Cup after City had gone away and regrouped. We didn't know it at the time, but that was the moment the changing of the guard started in Manchester.
3: Every day I'm shuffling.
2: Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: For a pledge of two dollars a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Sam Roscoe, there, looking at that FA Cup semi-final from uh, ten years ago. Dan, it's uh, it, it feels like yesterday that uh, that that game that Torre won, um, and yet suddenly it's ten years have gone.
2: Yeah, where does the time go,
1: eh? I <laughs> know. Oh, uh, I mean, just just quickly before we move on to, to Chelsea, that, that game,
2: how much, how important do you think that game was in setting up what's happened since? That was the moment everything changed, wasn't it, basically, for City? That was the moment we sort of shed our inferiority complex against United. It was, you know, I, I often liken it to, you know, you're sort of uh, being bullied by a bigger boy in the playground and they're <laughs> constantly, like, giving you a wedgie and stealing your dinner money. And all of a sudden, you get the confidence to hit them back, and then that gives you the confidence to hit them again and hit them again. I mean, I'm not advocating for violence here, by the way, but uh, it's just well, a metaphor. But <laughs> I, I
1: was going to say, in that analogy, I, I think what happens then is that you keep on hitting them. They end up in A and E, and then they're, 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 they're in real trouble for the next, the next kind of ten years or so. Well, the, the metaphor works, then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, looking ahead then to to this weekend's uh, FA Cup semi final, uh, Simon, do, do you expect this one to be as tense as that Dortmund game was?
3: Yeah, I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be a, a tough game. Chelsea look very good, very well organized um under Thomas Tuchel. So I yeah, I I don't think it's going to be a 6-0 put it that way. Yeah. Um how
1: much how much do you think has been taken out of City though, Simon, of of the in the way that they had to play on uh, on Wednesday night?
3: Uh yeah, I it will have taken a lot out of them. Um and it's sort of not held Wednesday, Saturday. I think they'd rather have had the the Sunday, but you can't have everything when you're playing twice a week. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be sapping of energy, and uh, and the, probably going to be sort of going into the game more tired than than Chelsea. But at the same time, they've been playing um, twice a week for like the whole season, apart from one week when there was a. Covid outbreak in the camp. I have to caveat for pedants on Twitter, um, but so so they are more used to doing it, um, and yeah, they do love playing at Wembley as well. You know, so two games in a week, they must be uh, kind of rubbing their hands together at that.
1: Yeah, Dan. The stat was uh, Guardiola when he takes City to Wembley this weekend. He's taken them to City. He's taken City to Wembley more often than any of the last sixteen permanent managers combined. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's our second home, isn't it? Uh, so, it's just uh, yeah, a shame that there won't be uh, any fans in attendance for this one, unfortunately, and we will be played behind closed doors. But it uh, will be a few fans for the Carabao Cup in a few weeks, so that'll be nice, won't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that um, I mean, we're talking about how much the the Dortmund game could take out a City, though Dan. I mean, there's there's also the argument that you know it could give them real momentum going into this game.
2: Yeah, I don't think any player would ever complain about um, having loads of big games to look forward to. That um, they always say that momentum is helpful. Um, they always say that they they like the challenge and they like to sort of you know check them off and, and move on to the next one so uh, so yeah hopefully that'll be the case I mean Chelsea played in the Champions League this week as well alright they've had an extra 24 hours rest um, they didn't have a good result against Porto uh, well the, the result was good overall the, 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 they lost the game on the night which was um, a little bit surprising because I thought they would probably ease, ease through that one quite easily did, So, did you see
1: the goal they conceded though?
2: it was amazing wasn't it <laughs> I, fair, yeah. I
1: was going to say like, I, I mean fair is fair yeah, yeah. yeah if City can pull one of those off at weekend then I'm not complaining you know <laughs> Um I Simon is it too early to uh mention the Q word?
3: No. No absolutely not. We we're, we're all about the quadruple. Uh <laughs> not, you know, don't go overboard but at the same time like um it's two games in the FA Cup, one game in the Carabao, four in the Premier League and three in the Champions League. So, you know, win win on Saturday and they're in single figures. Um I I just think you know, they, you can see why the favourites for every competition and it also, you know, they're talking about it, it's what they want to do. Um, they won't admit that they're, they're talking about it and, you know, one game at a time, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, how they, they kind of recognise how great it would be to do it in kind of a year where I think everything's been so difficult for them. You know, it's fantastic motivation for every competition they play.
2: Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the quadruple is on until the quadruple is off. It might be off yeah. this weekend and then we can stop talking about it or it might still be on. I mean, I did, I did see a graphic um, earlier with, with our sort of run of fixtures between now and the end of the season and I, and I looked at it and was like, ah, so that's why it's never been done before. It's really, <laughs> really hard. But, you know, why not? Why not dream? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I found it interesting. Uh, Dan, you will not got this because uh, obviously living out in Germany. But uh, there was a point that uh, a lot of fans on Twitter got got quite angry about on the uh, BT Sport coverage of uh, City against Dortmund, uh, where it, I, it was almost as if to say that uh, that if City failed in the uh, attempt to overturn the deficit at half time, uh, then the quadruple dreams would be over and that would make this season a failure. And I was like, guys, there's a reason it's never been done before, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking sort of during the Dortmund game when we were one nil down and I was pretty pessimistic about our chances of turning it around I was, I was sort of thinking are City actually that good or has this <laughs> season been a, bit, been a bit of a freak season where, where you know I mean United are the second best team in the league which sort of tells you that the Premier League isn't a very high standard this year does it so um, the, I, I, you know those doubts creeped in and, and now we've won the game I'm starting to think yeah we're the best team in the world again so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what the, the next few weeks have in store I guess
1: Uh, to get the Chelsea perspective uh, on this game, I've been speaking to Liam Toomey, who is the Chelsea correspondent with the Athletic and part of the Straight Outer Cobham podcast team. I started by asking him what's changed under Thomas Tuchel.
7: Yeah, I think there's a sense of real momentum, um, momentum that hasn't been disrupted by that f- really freakish collapse against West Brom, uh, as it as it might have done, you know, in in, in previous in previous months. Um, that that there's a real belief in the plan that Tuchel has put in place for this team the ta- the tactical system that he's implemented since coming in in January and uh, and they've grown in confidence particularly defensively and, and that is really the strength of this Chelsea team now which is pretty amazing to think about when when you consider just how vulnerable you know they were th- throughout Frank Lampard's tenure you know for all their ability going forward they were too easy to score against too easy to counter-attack and now those those things are um, the hardest things to do against Chelsea. And, and Tuchel, when he came in, pledged to make this team a team that no one wanted to play against. And I think he's already succeeded in that, although clearly there, there are still strides to be made um, in the final third.
1: Yeah I mean it's it's interesting looking at, at the form of these two teams because when when City went to Stamford Bridge in at the start of January City hadn't started that that kind of um or hadn't really got into that run of wins that they put together this season. Um and I and I get the feeling it was a different Chelsea team that they were playing at the time as well was it?
7: Yeah so that was around the time that you know we were we had begun to hear that Chelsea were looking at alternatives to Frank Lampard and um that was one of several results and performances that accelerated um the decision making process and and contributed to the feeling at board level that that Lampard wasn't the man to address this team's problems and, and turn the season around. You know, Chelsea in that game pretty much gave City everything they wanted. You know, they they they, they pushed up high, tried to Tried to play their own game rather than worrying too much about what City could do. They were they were carved open on the counter attack time and time again. Um, and once City did make the breakthrough in that game, Chelsea really crumbled and and the scoreline could have been a lot lot worse. Um, needless to say, this team gives off a totally different vibe now. Um, the the way Tuchel has has got them playing, they always keep five men behind the ball, the three usually the three centre-backs and and what he likes to call the double six, the two controlling midfielders. Um, and, that, and that has given them a really solid base. It's very difficult to, to get opportunities in transition against Chelsea through the middle of the pitch. It's very difficult to to generate um, sort of three V2s and four V3s simply because of the number of bodies they've got back. And that has had a cost for Chelsea at the other end of the pitch because... If you're attacking with fewer players, it becomes harder to to create chances and to score goals. And um, you know Chelsea were already having problems under Lampard um, in terms of their ruthlessness and actually making the most of the, the good moments they create in games. Uh, partly because I think of the youth of a lot of their attackers. Both the academy boys and the signings, um, and that has continued under Tuchel. And it, and if you're looking for reasons why Chelsea might ultimately fall short in in this semi final against City and in and in the, the really big games that will define their their season, um, that's probably the likeliest way it will happen that, that that they you know will miss the the key chances in close games and, and just get edged out.
1: Do you feel it, it? It's likely to be a tight game in that sense as well. Given, I mean, City obviously have the the, the tie with Dortmund in the in the run up to it. It's been it's been quite a week for City, and it's been quite a week for Chelsea getting to the the, uh, the semi finals of the Champions League as well. Um, you can kind of sense two teams that might be quite happy for this to be a tight game.
7: Yeah, I think so, and I think there is enough recovery time um, for both of them to to Saturday to make sure that they can be as close to full strength and full health as you could reasonably expect at this point in the season. I mean, Chelsea are going to be without Mateo Kovacic, which is a significant blow, um, particularly when you're talking about facing a team like City who are so good at pressing and asking difficult questions of you on the ball. Um, Kovacic is one of Chelsea's best outlets in terms of being able to dribble through a press, pass round a press, just make the right decision. Um, and carry the ball at speed, turning defence into attack. So without him, um, they will be a bit more limited. But if N'Golo Kante is fit to go, Jorginho has been playing very well for Tuchel. That is still an area of strength for Chelsea. Um, I think you, you know you have to give immense respect to what City have done under Guardiola in the last few months. They've been not just the best team in England by a distance, they've been arguably the best team in Europe. Um, in terms of their balance between defense and attack and the level of control they've exerted over games. In a lot of ways, I think this is a clash of quite similar styles um, in two teams that like to have the ball like to defend with the ball, press out of possession, um, and haven't really given much away in terms of in terms of chances. So if you know things continue in that vein, it will inevitably be a close game. It will be it will be a close game, probably decided on pretty fine margins. And in that in that kind of game, Chelsea will have, I would argue, probably more than a puncher's chance purely because of the, you know, the, the defense that they have and the talent, the individual talent that they have in the attacking third of the pitch that that could produce something at any moment.
1: Just looking at uh, at the squad of players that Chelsea have got available to them, um, who's who who is likely to do the damage against City that we maybe don't know about? Because obviously we, we we've seen the headlines about Timo Werner and, and and whether he's settling in or not. Who is who's who are the players that are likely to cause City trouble?
7: Yeah, this is a really interesting one because I think throughout this whole season, no single attacker has really. Um, staked their claim in this Chelsea squad and made a compelling case to have the attacking unit built around them. You know, Lampard had to rotate a lot in, in an attempt to try and find the best combination. Um, Tuchel has done the same and, and both of them also mix things up depending on the nature of the opponent. Um, I think against Crystal Palace, we saw Chelsea's best attacking performance under Tuchel. They were much more fluid, much more combination play. Um, and I think a lot of that was down to Kai Havertz leading the line, making traditional centre-forward runs, but also dropping deep to to do the kind of false nine stuff as well. Um, and so I think if, if he leads the line, um, I think Chelsea's attack will have more dimensions to it and more possible ways to, to hurt City. Um, but in terms of the most dangerous individual player and with the caveat that he's not necessarily guaranteed to start, um, I would say that on current form it's probably Christian Pulisic. Um, he, he seems to be hitting uh, the kind of form and rhythm that he did twice last season. Um, once in the run-up to, to Christmas and then it after project restart, which of course culminated in that great performance against City at Stanford Bridge that sealed the title for Liverpool, um, he, his ability to carry the ball with speed and skill in transition, um, to beat his man one on one and create openings for himself and others, is something that Chelsea really, really need. And and the the other attackers that they have, with the possible exception of Callum Hudson-Odoi, don't don't really offer. Um, so I think Pulisic is a big, big weapon for Chelsea. I think you could see that as well with the way that Porto targeted him. <laughs> they gave him very much the Eden Hazard treatment in the second leg of that tie. Uh, and, and I think City will have to focus on, um, focus on nullifying him as well because he is the one who can get the ball, turn, beat City's press and get Chelsea on the offensive. And um, if they can do that, uh, they can be very dangerous.
1: Yeah. Um, now we have a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show, Liam. I am. Um, uh, I'm not going to say bad at it, but it, you know, if I win, it's it really is you know miracle. Miracles can happen, sort of stuff. So uh, I'm going to give my prediction over to you. What's your score prediction for this game?
7: Oh, it's a, it's a really close one to call. My my instinct is that City will probably be more ruthless when it counts, um, and I think. You know, I could see this time maybe going to extra time, um, but I could see maybe City winning it with a goal in extra time after, say, a 1-1 draw in regulation. So 2-1 City would probably be my prediction.
0: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: So that was Liam Toomey talking about the coming FA Cup semi-final. Uh, time now to look ahead to the game with Aston Villa in the uh, following midweek. And we're joined by David and Chris from uh, the Aston Villa podcast and fanzine. My old man said, hi David. Hello there, how you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. Hi Chris. Hello, how are you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, so let's let's start with this game. Um, David, it's it, it's one win in six for Villa at the moment. Um, what's what's happened in the last six weeks or so? Because I, like in my head, Villa are having a really good season.
6: Yeah, we we had a very good start to the season, tw- so let's call that 2020. But uh, 2021 has uh, we've, we've kind of fizzled out, and a lot of people are pointing to uh, Grealish's injury, but it happened uh, well in advance of that. Uh, so this is the problem. Apart from nine minutes against Fulham, where we actually showed some uh, intent, uh, it's a bit of a concern because as Villa fans you'd expect because of the amount of players that we got in we'd have a slow start and then find off feet towards the back end when Smith is traditionally strong
1: yeah Chris is it uh, has it has the Covid outbreak that uh, that happened was it around Christmas time that uh, has it been since then that it's all kind of fallen apart yeah it was it was just before we were due to play you guys wasn't it at the at the
8: Etihad if I remember rightly um, now Smith a sort of very much played it down, which most people would have said it's a relatively valid excuse, I'm sure, and you know, most people saw what happened at Newcastle with Sam Maximan, wasn't it, players like that who were really badly affected by it, and that would have been a, the easy excuse to use, but he's kind of played it down, so if he's choosing to...
1: Me and David have as well, and it's
8: just been a chronic loss of form.
1: Dan, when you when you look at, at this one for City, I mean, given the week that City have got, they've obviously they've just come through the Dortmund tie. They've got the FA Cup semi final with Chelsea. There, there's the League Cup final on the horizon. After that, uh, do you, do you see this as another opportunity for Guardiola to, to basically chuck the team out and and play whoever's left?
2: <laughs> it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, as, as we've spoken about um, the the Leeds game, he, he rotated a lot for that game, and and that backfired really. And, and though the the title picture is still looking very rosy for City, you don't want to. Start dropping any more points. I mean, it's the, the the task is clear. You know, six games to go, eleven points needed. Um, you want to get get those eleven points as quickly as possible, and then we can really sort of uh, start resting players for the for the sort of non-event games at the end of the season. But for the time being, you don't want to you don't want to really risk uh, losing another game so quickly after the Leeds one. So um, I would like to think he will rotate a little bit, and I'm sure he will. But I don't think there will be perhaps wholesale changes that we saw against Leeds.
1: Yeah, Simon, how do you see him keeping this one, fr- keeping the team fresh for this one?
3: I mean, I think that there might be wholesale changes um, just because kind of no disrespect to Villa, but when you've got Chelsea, Cup semi-final, Tottenham, Cup final and PSG, Champions League semi, Villa is kind of the obvious one to to rest up a few players. But um, Guardiola was, was quite irked by the criticism that he got after the Leeds game. So that may uh, mean... So there are a few less changes, but uh, you'd certainly be, be wanting to wrap up the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, I would think.
1: Yeah, David, when you, when you hear that sort of thing, from, especially from Dan as a City fan, uh, the idea that City could play a, a, a rotated side, I mean, even when you look at the strength in depth that City have got, it's, it, 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 it can be frightening. But also, you know, City fans look at it and go, well, there is an opportunity here for a disjointed performance if he makes wholesale changes. Does that give you confidence as a Villa fan?
6: Well if we uh, were playing you with the team or how they were playing at the start of the season uh, we got to the level where we actually had a chance against any team so uh, I'd have fancied my chances but uh, it seems there's a lack of intensity about Villa now it's almost like we're on the beach already and uh, there's no real uh, aspirations and Motivation for the season because you know thank you very much you know you let Leeds beat you and there's a chance that Leeds will even finish above Villa as we, <laughs> we kind of we we were hoping for a top ten finish but we'll do well to uh, get that now because we've got a pretty tricky uh, end of season but yeah I mean Manchester City it's you know it's an embarrassment of riches and uh, I, I was surprised that you well not surprised not surprised that you're still in you know for the quadruple which says it all.
1: Yeah, Chris. I mean, it's there is—is there any confidence to be taken from from uh, the way Leeds played against City?
8: Having seen the way Villa have been playing since Christmas, no. (laughs) 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 Frankly, Leeds Leeds beat you with intensity, don't they? They they run you off the field. Villa are the opposite at the moment. I mean, if I was a City fan or a City player, I'd be thinking, who do I want to play at the moment when I've got this run of games that are really high intensity games. You know, these are the games that will define your season. Villa won't. This is the perfect game for City right now. I couldn't think of anybody you'd rather play. You know, you don't want to necessarily play a, a bottom three side who are going to try and kick you and fight you. Villa just aren't like that. We're really nice. So, frankly, if you guys turn up and are at about 50%, I think you get the job done. We're good adverts for Aston Villa.
1: <laughs> Leaders. I mean, I, I was going to ask as well because David mentioned before um, that, uh, that that that, Grealish, that Jack Grealish has been out. Um, Chris, uh, how, how much of a loss has he been? It, in, I mean, to be honest, his
8: form actually at the turn of the year wasn't the best. Um, but it, what he is, he, he's the catalyst. He's he's what to us what someone like a De Bruyne is to you. You know, anything that's good goes through him, and it's it's just the fact that he. He occupies the opposition and brings other people into play. So even if he has a game when he is um, kept quiet by the opposition, he allows, you know, he occupies two or three players potentially and therefore other players can shine, which, you know, people like Ross Barkley have failed to do and that's been as big a reason for our loss of form as losing Grealish.
1: Yeah, David, uh, do you take any um, kind of comfort as well from the performance that Villa put in at the Etihad? Um, I mean, like like we talked about the Covid outbreak before, that was a time I think you'd not played in about 10, 15 days by that point. There had been a real long break for you before it and you came back and and gave City a real game.
6: Yeah, that that was actually a bit of a surprise because uh, going into that game with a lead up uh, to that game... uh, Dean Smith publicly was saying he was going to be drip feeding players back uh, over a period of time from uh, this COVID situation. So there was a bit of concern uh, about how that's how, how it was going to affect the whole season. But if you could take anything from that City game, uh, then the, the COVID situation wasn't as bad as we uh, first anticipated. So it was a positive from that front. And you know, you took encouragement from the performance, but uh, ultimately, you know, it's like that League Cup final. You know, you don't win, you don't win.
1: Yeah, uh, Dan, when you when you hear when you hear that from the from the opposition at the moment, <laughs> uh, given the, the the schedule that City have got, um, how do you feel?
2: Well, I mean, uh, that, that game, the reverse fixture was was one of the best games we've been involved in this season. I think definitely one of the best contests, and uh, you know, we got a bit lucky with that dodgy refereeing decision, didn't we? So. I was uh, approaching this this game with a bit of trepidation, um, having listened to David and Chris. My mind is a lot more at ease, I must say. <laughs> um, You're um, welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I feel a bit more confident about that. Like I said, I, ho- I hope that uh, the, the changes don't affect us this time. I mean, I don't think that was the sole reason we lost the game against Leeds at the weekend. So, if we had won that game against Leeds or even drawn it, uh, drawn it, I, w- I would be feeling a lot more confident going to Villa Park. As it is, that, that's kind of in the back of your mind, and you think, oh, you know, we've we've, we've slipped up recently. Or are we going to slip up again here? But but yeah, I think we've got reason to be pretty confident.
1: Yeah, Simon, is it a case of? Um, I mean, I mean, this is. It feels like if City are going to drop the ball in any of the games coming up then this one might be the one but actually when you hear what David and Chris are saying about Villa's performances it, it might actually be one of the others
3: yeah I think so um I, I mean I've been impressed with Villa whenever I've watched them this season but I've obviously not followed them as uh as closely as as David and Chris and you know didn't know they were they were in such bad form um I, I, I think kind of in Martinez and, and Watkins they have a goalkeeper who can have a worldly and a, a striker that, that can score Villa's only chance while City miss all 800 that they create. So I think that they do have the quality players still to cause an upset, but um, yeah, maybe play this podcast to pep and he might feel better about <laughs> <this job.
1: laughs> yeah we know he's a long time listener anyway um, well, we, uh, we passed the £1,000 mark for the uh, season with the charity bet with uh, City's win over Dortmund Kieran Murray correctly predicted the 2-1 win meaning we're at £1,070 for this season that's also our second best ever season on the charity bet so uh, well done everyone uh, all of the money is going to the Christie a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester and William Hill is giving each of us a uh, £10 correct score single on City's games uh, going to start start With that Chelsea game, uh, we heard earlier on that uh, Liam went for a one-all draw in 90 minutes. That's five to one and £50 if he's right. Uh, Simon, what are you having for this one? I will have two one to Manchester City, please. Uh, two one in 90 minutes is uh, seven to one and £70. Dan, what's your 90-minute uh, score?
2: I fancy nil-nil.
1: Really? <laughs> I'm not sure why, yeah. Just. Why do- I, well, if it comes off, it's uh, it's £85. It's 17-2 to, to if you're right on that there one. There you go. And that brings us to the game with uh, Aston Villa. Chris and David, we've only got one bet between you, so uh, I need you to uh, agree on a scoreline for this one.
6: What, what do you think, Chris? 2-0 to Villa?
8: <laughs> yeah, normally if we talk it up, it goes the other way. So yeah, I mean, the way we've we've built the game, but there's no way City are going
6: to score. <laughs> once, upon, once upon a time, when uh, the thing is Villa get unlikely wins against City. Once upon a time, when I was, we had Paul Lambert in charge and you just felt like doing self-harm. So uh, I, I decided i put £100, £100 on Manchester City to beat Villa at Villa Park because I thought it was... A, it, all I was going to get was, like, £30 return. And, uh, of course, uh, Villa you're won 3-2. I was going to say, you're going
1: to tell us it's the one where we, I think we led twice and you came back from behind yeah, twice to beat exactly.
6: us. Exactly. <laughs> We're the useless team as well. So uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think we should go for the Villa win here, 2-0. Nick it 1 0. Yeah, 1 0 then. 1 0
1: Villa, Villa. Uh, wait for this one. Uh, it's 18 to 1. Uh, so £180 if you're wow. Ching, on that one. Ching. Uh, <laughs> yeah, It's good for the charity. Simon, what are you having for that one? Uh,
3: 2 1 to City originally.
1: Uh, 2 1 to City is uh, 13 to 2 and £65. Pounds. That leaves us with Dan. Uh, 3 1 City. Uh, That's 9 to one and £90 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at BeGambleAware.org. David and Chris from uh, My Old Man Says, thank you very much for uh,
6: for joining us today. Pleasure. Not a problem. And uh, good luck with your quadruple. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. Cheers. Bye
1: now. So, time now to hear from Howard Hockin. He's asking why City fans can't relax into the success that they've had over the last decade.
9: As always seems to be the case right now in the short history of Manchester City, this week has been eventful. It's the fabled business end of the season, so that means the stakes are high. In the old days, the City manager and squad would tend to have only one thing to worry about, which often involved trying to win a game of football, any game. Just get to 40 points if possible. Nowadays, talk is instead about the word that begins with Q but cannot be named. It's the morning after the night before, City are in the semi-final of the Champions League for just the second time. But hold your horses! Because maybe it's just the treble that City are capable of winning now. Because after the defeat to Leeds at the weekend, there seems to be a swell of opinion that City would now see a 14-point advantage whittled away over the coming weeks. Would any other fan base react to this manner, I wonder? It's what we do though, isn't it? After the Leicester victory, even I tweeted that the league was done and I meant it. And now the doubts return because a rotated team somehow contrived to lose a game against 10 men, a freak result. And because now United can reduce the lead to 8 points, which is little less than what the lead was a month ago anyway, with United and City not playing each other again and United with the tougher running. Never change, eh? Look, I won't deny these thoughts go through my mind too, and this will surprise absolutely no one. But that doesn't make me right. City are 1,000 to 1 on to win the league on Bet365, and yet many believe Pepper's taking his eye off the ball because we have won 16 away games on the bounce but have lost two of our last five league games. Maybe they will be proved right and I'll have to turn my internet off for the whole summer. I do understand such thoughts as they have inhabited my brain for most of my life. We seem as a fan base to struggle, some of us that is, certainly not all of us, to fully believe in our side however many games or trophies it wins. We always think the good times could come to an end in a heartbeat. After all, when Borussia Dortmund took the lead on Wednesday night, I could see only one outcome. City would have numerous chances, score no goals, Dortmund would score two from their only two shots on target, VR would screw us over too. The reality of course was something rather different, and there was a reason Dortmund were big outsiders to qualify in the night, because bookmakers don't carry thirty years or more of angst around on their shoulders, and can look at things with far more clarity. The way the season has progressed in the league also provides clues as to why many got a bit jittery after the weekend's defeat. In December, we would have snapped your arm off to be top by any distance come mid-April, but then there was a 21-match winning run, and once City went 10 points clear, our expectations shifted significantly. Now there was a demand, and I include myself in this, that City not only win the league, but stretch the league, or at least maintain it, and get the league wrapped up as soon as possible. And that's it, really. We've all become really impatient. Anything that delays the moment when we can say with certainty that City have won the league is an irritant, and for some, a worry. But if you see everything negatively, in that every city fixture is a banana skin, whilst United will push aside every side they face, then you naturally predict trouble on the horizon. And momentum is everything too, lose a couple and the mood changes. But there's no such thing as typical city though, it was never a thing. Being rubbish is not a typical city thing, messing up in strange circumstances is not a typical city thing, it's just a thing football teams do sometimes. There are numerous other football clubs, even if we look just pre-2008, that messed up as much as City, if not more, across much of their history. City were nothing special in incompetence, even if Jamie Pollock's own goal and holding the ball in a corner when we need to win to avoid relegation make for great stories. And there's no typical City situation now that could arise. There's no lessons from history to try and avoid in the remainder of the season. If City mess up, they mess up. This team, this manager and those that preceded them, won 14 on the bounce to win a league title, scored two in injury time to win a title, won 198 points over two seasons, won multiple cups, held that even, somehow, have won six penalty shootouts in a row. And against Dortmund, they not only showed they have metal and something special within the squad, but they came from behind at half time to win, putting that particular elephant in the room firmly to bed. The chances of them crumbling in a title race after losing two games in five months whilst United win 11 on the bounce having previously never won more than four in a row is of course minuscule. But rest assured if it does happen I am giving up on football. Fact is, maybe, that none of this assault and all trophies available would be possible without Pep taking the risks he did at the weekend. Perhaps he was wrong to do so against Leeds it's easy to judge with hindsight. He took similar line-up risks against West Ham and Fulham and got away with it. But with only Sergio Aguero injured currently, and there's nothing anyone can do about that sadly, then to keep this squad this fit and fresh as the world comes around us and other teams see players dropping like flies, it's near miraculous. There had to be risks taken. If you can't do it when 11 or 14 points clear, delete as applicable, then when can you do it? Pep could not win with the Leeds team sheet. If he'd played a stronger side, he would have been slated too, especially if Kevin De Bruyne had hobbled off the pitch at some point. Who knows, perhaps it was the fact that City did not have a must-win game at the weekend, unlike Dortmund, that made all the difference on Wednesday night. And whichever side of the fence you sit on, thankfully the defeat against Leeds has no other consequence apart from the league table. It's not in stead, fear and doubt in the mind of the City squad. They will continue on as before and hopefully eradicate memories of the Leeds bump against a Greeley's Free Aston Villa next Wednesday. And hopefully Pep will put out a strong side too and get one trophy nailed down for good. I wonder if I will ever free myself of this nagging doubt in my football team. Perhaps it's not a lack of faith in my team, but simply nerves. After all, it has felt more nervy having to watch my team at home by myself for a year. This has exacerbated every poor performance, rare as they may be. When there's no escape from the football, when it's all you have sometimes, then it becomes too important and it makes us all prone to overreaction. My Twitter timeline at half-time in the Dortmund game was quite frankly embarrassing. But there has to be a point at which this hugely successful side, packed with brilliant players, makes me believe, even when the situation seems hopeless. Maybe it just needs City to sign a striker, or maybe there is a tipping point when the successes are the scars of decades past. I hope so, because it's a miserable way to support a team in many respects, always feeling the worst. We've never had it so good as City fans. After Pep leaves, we may never have it so good again. So perhaps it is best to believe, be more Ted Lasso, and remember that whilst in theory this team could be on the brink of disappointment at any moment, it could equally also be on the brink of undeniable greatness.
5: Hi, my name is Uwe Ressler, a former Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon podcast
0: this is the blue moon podcast facebook.com Forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was Howard Hawkin. Uh, we're going to finish with some of your questions. Get them sent in on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, we have a story on our Instagram page as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast. There is an ask box on the uh, on the story on there. Uh, get your questions in that way. Uh, first up, Paul Blacklock on Twitter asks City have a good track record on extending contracts of key players. What about Zinchenko? He is key and a genuine utility player who City need to hold on to. Uh, Simon, what do you
3: into that yeah in my head he didn't sign a new deal that long ago um I think it was the start of start of last season he signed a new deal so um he, he's got a few years left um I mean there may be it, it's never a bad thing to tie someone down to a new deal so uh, you know they may they may look to do so and, I, and I'm sure he would be kind of open to a new deal but at the same time there are probably more Pressing priorities with sort of John Stones, Raheem Sterling, Foden, um, that you would want to uh, to sort out a contract extension for them more often, and um, with sort of the annual report that that came out, I, th- I think if City can avoid putting their wage bill up unnecessarily, they uh, they would take that option.
1: Yeah, Dan, I'm I'm I've got a little bit of a confession to make with Zinchenko um, because I. I really like him, and I think, <laughs> I, and I'm really, really pleased that he's kind of carved out a niche for him at City, a niche for himself at City. That that almost means he can't really move away from City anymore, because <laughs> like, like he he's not going to be bought as a, as an attacking midfielder for another team, and they're not going to look at him and go, he's a left back. So he's kind of he's kind of stuck in at City. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean he played in midfield against Leeds, didn't he? And didn't do brilliantly well there. Um, so I think left back is is his position now. I think the thing was Inchanko, I love him as well. I'm I'm really, I'm really pleased with the way he's made it work for himself at City and I think he's very reliable very consistent I just wonder um, if he's always on a bit of thin ice at City if they're always sort of looking to upgrade on, on his position I think you know maybe they will go in for a left back finally in the summer maybe they'll move Mendy on and sign someone to compete with Zinchenko and I do think they, they are sometimes lacking a, a a good quality attacking kind of wing back style full back you, know, you look at the Dortmund game there was lots of times I think when Zinchenko got the ball in wide areas and his delivery wasn't great that's not really his game you know whipping crosses into the box and I wonder if we'd be even more dangerous if we had a play like that I certainly hope Zinchenko stays around as this kind of utility player um, and, and does uh, have, a, have a career at City because cause, cause I really like him but I don't think he's uh, you know worthy of being considered like an undroppable anytime soon really
1: yeah it's nearly scored a belter against Dortmund though to be fair that's
2: true yeah yeah
1: yeah so uh, yeah, you never know. Uh, Base Force on Instagram uh, says, "Do we need a Fernandinho replacement? And if yes, who would it be? Uh, any ideas, Dan?"
2: Uh, that's an interesting question because I mean, that you look at the amount of games that Fernandinho has played this season, and you would suggest that we probably don't need to replace him because who can you realistically buy that is going to come in and be a bit part player? Because Rodri is the that's his position, isn't it? You know, I know he, he's not hugely popular with the City fans. I think he's growing in popularity a little bit. Um So they've got Claudio Gomez in the in the in the youth setup who who could come through and and be the the sort of replacement for Fernandinho. If I was making the decision at City, I'd be maybe having a cheeky word in Sergio Busquets here and saying do you fancy coming over to the Premier League for a couple of years not playing that much but just being you know because Guardiola brought him through at Barcelona and was the making of him really so it'd be great to see those two work together again so uh, yeah that would be my choice Busquets just get, get it done yeah,
1: well, fair enough. Uh, Simon uh, Greg Hunt on Patreon uh, messaged in to say it seems like the whole messy stuff is now dead in the water. Did we really need a player in his position, or were we just in for him because he's messy and he may have been available? Uh, speaking of the Barcelona link, what uh, is is that one? Is that has that ship now sailed? Do you think?
3: Uh, I wouldn't say so yet. Um, I would say n- neither that the ship has sailed nor that it is dead in the water. I don't have another kind of analogy to come up with for that. <laughs> um, but the game is on, maybe. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's on until it's off. Um, I, I, did we need a player in his position? Well, yes. Um, I mean, City have sort of d- did their best in the two legs against um, Dortmund to show Haaland that they still could do with a clinical striker who will bag loads of goals. And, uh, and Messi would would do that as well. Um, I think there is a lot of sort of brand appeal because it, it'd it be a huge coup for the City Football Group um, as well and, you know, would would bring in a lot of money for them uh, through that. But it, it's just one of those opportunities, isn't it? Like, if, if Messi becomes available and you've got the money to buy him, do you turn him down? No, no you don't um, because he's the best player in the world. So, like, you know... Stick him in at left back if you like, or
1: I can't can't knock Zinchenko out like that, mate. I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) He he, he can be Zinchenko's competition, (laughs) Um, but you know he's um, he's just such a good player. um, Like stating the absolute obvious that um, that yeah, of course they're going to be interested if he's available.
1: Yeah. Uh, final question, Dan, uh, comes from Ben Inman on Twitter, who says, Am I the only one who gets annoyed when Guardiola says we have no history in Europe? We shouldn't judge City's history on how many trophies we've won. And even if we did, we won the European Cup Winners' Cup in
2: 1970. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I don't get annoyed by that personally. I mean, we have no history in the uh, the European Cup, really, do we? Uh, history of success. Um, you know, we, we didn't qualify for the Champions League until uh, 2011. And uh, yeah, it's funny, there was that stat doing the rounds earlier this week where they were saying that Chelsea now have the most semi-final appearances by English teams in the Champions League. And I think like Liverpool have got five um, Champions League semi-final appearances, but obviously they've won the European Cup six times. So it's just a bit of a Champions <laughs> League era nonsense yeah. like... Like football was invented in 1993 kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think Guardiola is right to point that out. I think he, he is aware of the club's history. You know, he often mentions Colin Bell and uh, Mike Summerby and Franny Lee and all those players, doesn't he? So, I don't think he's being disrespectful. I just think the Cup Winners' Cup is nothing in the grand scheme of things, is it? I mean, what,
1: 1970, what's that nearly 50 years ago or so? so it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, things, things have moved on a little bit
2: since then, but yeah. No, who no, did no, we meet we... in the final? Gornick Zabrizi? I can't who, even say Who were they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: who are they? What, what have they ever achieved? <laughs> yeah. (laughs) yeah Uh, right so that brings this week's Blue Moon podcast to an end thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed it then please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places especially on Apple podcasts it all helps other City fans find the show thanks also to my guests this week the MEN's Simon Baikowski. thank you and One Football's down, Burke. Thank you very much. Uh, if you'd like to listen to some extra stuff, then we have a bonus podcast for anyone backing on any of our Patreon tiers. This week it's about the players who have played for both City and Aston Villa in the Premier League era, and all the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. You'll also get ad free versions of the main show each week if you sign up to that too. I'll be back next week to reflect on the FA Cup semi final and look ahead to the League Cup final, so I'll see you then. <laughs>
0: Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
4: While the goal hadn't been coming, City had been definitely had been definitely the more likely. Deadlock the Breakers. While the goal hadn't been coming, City had definitely been more likely to break the deadlock. After an early flurry by the by the United in the first half. <clears throat>